0: Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson with my co-panelists and hosts, former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, consultant, and analyst Alicia Preston. Well, we're going to have to pick up the baton right where we left it off. We last recorded this show last Tuesday just as all the news was emerging about the FBI search on Mar-a-Lago. Alicia Preston, Golf clap to you for making, I think, the most astute early observation of the week, which was, hey folks, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Let's slow our roll just a little bit. Now you were speaking to both Democrats and Republicans. Your message to Democrats seemed to be, look, I know you wanna see Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit. You're one of the rare Republicans who wouldn't be against that yourself necessarily. Um, You're not not pro-Trump. You are very much a no-Trump Republican. But your message to Dems was like, guys, let's let's just hang on a little bit. We, we really don't know what's in here. Your message to Republicans was the same darn thing, which was, hey, before you go all to the mattresses in defending Donald Trump, we don't know what's here. We don't know how bad it's going to be. Are you sure you want to keep rallying around this guy? And now I think that the news that's unfolded since then has first of all really validated your point. And second of all, it's especially done so on the Republican side because the news that, that's developed as the more we learn about what was in that warrant and what was removed from our lago, the worse it's looking for Donald Trump and the worse it's looking for the knee-jerk Republican apologists for Donald Trump. Alicia, I'm gonna turn the floor over to you. Would you like to expand on your earlier analysis? What was your what was your take on your own take? as more and more news rolled in.
1: Well, let me just clarify, I have said before, I do not want to see Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit, and I think it would be very bad for the country for many of the things we're seeing happening right now. What I would like to see is everybody threatening the FBI, a judge, or the members of the Department of Justice to be in orange jumpsuits. Very quickly, that's what I would like to see. you know, I'm I'm still very cautious. Yes, that that my, my point was to both Democrats and Republicans, don't be giddy and don't be too angry. And, you know, we don't know exactly what's in there. There's some scary stuff being released, but I, I'm not going to pretend I am, which so many people are pretending they are, experts on, you know, Department of Justice prosecutorial terminology and warrants and things like that, or what the classifications mean or what they could represent. I'm not an expert on any of that. I'm not going to second guess those who are, um, you know, As an American, you hear things like nuclear weapon information or data on former French President Macron or things. And you go, why would he have these things? And then, you know, one person I follow on Twitter is Ari Fleischer, former White House press secretary under George W. Bush. The moment Mar-a-Lago raid, quote unquote, happened, he was very, very defensive of the system being like, Mm. why are you raiding uh, House of a former president. This is so you need to explain it. Kind of what I was saying to you need to explain this. You need to make it aware of the American people. And then the second that warrant and affidavit stuff was released, a man who had been railing against the government for stepping over a line changed his tune and said, whoa, why do you have this? And if the government asked for it back, why wouldn't you just give it back? Right. right. I mean, so there's still ju- there's so many questions out there. I'm disturbed by all of it. I'm not ready to say throw the book at Donald Trump or let this go by yet. I, I just I'm still waiting and seeing, but I'm concerned.
0: You know, uh, just to follow up on that quickly, and then I, I do want to turn to you, Paul, as we always do when we hit this nexus between politics, your role as a former member of Congress, and of course your role as a former prosecutor, because you're really good at explaining the overlap among all those things. But Alicia, just to press you for a second, you're sort of our uh, you're sort of our, our panel of one, you're you're our focus group of one. You're a Republican that Democrats increasingly think you're kind of a unicorn, right? You're sort of a a persuadable Republican. You're you're dyed in the wool. You're red through and through, right? Red to the a dead. C- True conservative. You are a true conservative, but you are not a Trumper, and you are open, very open to the idea that Trump can do wrong. He he is can be very culpable here your initial take last week was, I would say, somewhat in the Fleischer camp, you you were saying, look, we need to hear a full explanation. If you're gonna yeah. go all the way to searching the home of a former US president, you'd better have a darn good reason. Now we've had a press conference from Attorney General Merrick Garland and we've had an unsealed warrant. Again, all, all caveats understood. You're not a prosecutor here. You're not trying to get into the legal details, but as a focus group of one, were you satisfied with what you got so far as a justification for searching the home of a former president.
1: Um, with what we're told, yes. I mean, if, if that is, you know, if the stuff that they say they thought was in Mar-a-Lago was at Mar-a-Lago or somewhere in the hands of Donald Trump and one of his properties, then yes, that is enough. Mm. Um, You know, a lot of people are talking about we need to see the affidavits and stuff. I don't know. Maybe Paul can help us out here. What's contained in the affidavits? I don't know if they found everything they were looking for. I don't know. You know, and and then the messages from President Trump. I mean, you know, as a PR person, it makes my eyeballs roll in the back of my head because you got to pick a message. I always tell anybody, whatever the message is, pick a message and stick to it. Right. This is like. Um, it's attorney-client privilege. Well, it's not attorney-client privilege. It's okay, but I declassified it. It's not that I declassified it. It's that it wasn't there in the first place because the FBI, you know, planted it there. And it's it's like, from a PR communications perspective, forget that it's about Donald Trump. I'm going crazy because I'm going, stick to a message, bro. Just stick to a
2: message. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, look, I, I, my my two cents on this, just from a media standpoint, is the question I have not seen posed to Republican Trump defenders by the media is you know a, a, let's let go of this technical question of could Donald Trump have sort of waved his hands while he was still president and technically declassified these documents i don't know who cares like i'm not going to get caught in that in those weeds i want to hear the answer to what you just implied alicia which is give me a good reason for Donald Trump to have these documents Right. Enunciate one single argument for why Donald Trump would have taken these documents out of a secure location in the White House. Why would he need to have them for what good purpose? I have not heard anyone give an explanation for that. The closest you could come, this is me putting on my Republican spin pants, which are dyed red and maybe now with a tinge of brown in them. The best explanation I could come up with would probably be, (laughs) oh, he was taking other things that he wanted to have and just some stuff got mixed up. Uh, Not a good
2: defense. You got a
0: good defense. But you're
2: you're, you're, you're way off base. You're way off base. Now, here's the real reason. Um, and, and this is a little excursions so follow me here. So there's a there's going to be a covid surge and down in Florida, the covid surge is going to be really severe. And during the last covid during the when covid hit, there was no toilet paper on the shelves. You oh, couldn't gosh. find any. So he's got to have all this all this paper to use instead. That's simple. Given what we know about his flushing it down the toilet at the White House, he had to he had to have the documents. Right. To, deep, to co- deep confusion.
0: Yeah, no, that's deep. Confusion. That's, that's great spin. That's 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 quite possible. You know what, Paul, I agree with you. That is literally the best version of what they could come up with. So look, the question is out there. We're in the media. Alicia, Paul and I are posing this question to the Marco Rubio's and Ted Cruz's and whoever else is trying to stand up for Donald Trump on all this. This is the question to you. Give me a good reason why Donald Trump would have taken these highly sensitive secret documents that imperil our national security. With him out of the White House, I'm waiting. I'm all ears, Paul. Let's turn. And I just follow that go. question
1: with a, with a second question. If your answer is what Matt said that you didn't mean to take the documents, then when the government asked you for them
0: back, why didn't you return them? And why did you lie? Right? Why did you send your attorney out to meet with the DOJ investigators who came to Mar-a-Lago back in June? And why did you have your lawyer attest that? There was nothing classified remaining. Did you look? And why then is there surveillance video showing you after that visit from the DOJ? Why is there video showing you moving boxes in and out of the storage room? Again, uh, there's there's really not a good defense here and it it does look pretty bad, (laughs) but I don't believe in convicting people in the media. I'm going to take Alicia's advice. I'm going to sit back and not get ahead of ourselves here. But that's the question that's out there. Paul, um, so leaning on you and your prosecutorial experience, first, I I have a sort of a two-part question for you here. One, what did you make when they unsealed that warrant? What did you make of that? What, What was your reaction to that from sort of a legal and prosecutorial standpoint? And also, what did you make of the emerging news as we record this on Monday morning, August 15th? What was your what was your reaction to the news that there is another search warrant signed by the judge, Judge Reinhardt, in this case, that's not even related to the search at Mar-a-Lago?
2: Well, I'll take let me take the second question first, Uh, please. It's a fascinating question. Um, We there's been no reporting about that. Uh, second warrant, literally no reporting. Uh, Alicia and I talked about it uh, briefly over some email before the show, uh, because we wanted to see if we could find something out. I did a, 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 I admit a relatively quick online search. I couldn't find anything about this second warrant. We know from a tweet that uh, uh, there, there was a second warrant there. It has a case number, um, but we don't know anything about it. We don't know why. We don't know what it's about. It could be. There's no. There, we can't even speculate. But we do know there was a second warrant. Um, uh, we don't even know whether it's been served at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. We just haven't heard anything about it. Um, it could be about January sixth. It could be about who knows what. We'll we'll fi- we'll find out. We'll find out later. Now, because remember, after the search of Mar-a-Lago that we do know about, the next day, um, uh, Congressman Perry's cell phone was seized. And people assumed way back when, a week ago, that the warrant uh, served at Mar-a-Lago, about which there's been so much reporting now, was connected somehow to January 6th. And the next day, the seizure of Perry's cell phone was related uh, because Perry is a figure in that investigation, maybe that's what the second warrant is about. But we'll find out more. Back to your your first question about what it is we know and 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 what's in there. A couple of things. First of all, um, folks need to understand the various parts of the legal documents. There is. Uh, an application made to a judge to issue a warrant. In that application, which is like a motion in court, um, there is an affidavit sworn to under oath and signed by the person who is um, swearing to it, which basically sets forth the basis to believe, probably, to believe that there is probably evidence of criminality to be found, and that is why the judge is asked to issue the warrant. That affidavit will contain facts, and it will it can contain not just first-person observations, but it could be an FBI supervising agent who says, I have reviewed field reports from um, 26 agents who have conducted interviews, and From those field reports it is reported that interviewees said so you could have that kind of of evidence in an application for a warrant in the affidavit so we don't have the application for the warrant and therefore we don't have the affidavit so we don't know what was said uh, in support of issuing the warrant But we do have the warrant and we do have the inventory. Um, And as you've said, Matt, the inventory uh, that was taken shows a variety of different kinds of documents ranging from top secret, top secret confidential, classified top secret, um, unclassified. It contains a range of different kinds of documents. Now there's been a huge amount of reporting and attention and analysis on the notion of classified documents. First of all, let's just say that Donald Trump cannot simply declassify documents by with a wave of his hand. That is not uh, the way it is done. The way it is done is you have to go through a process. You have to have the documents uh, then marked declassified. There has there's an entire process that goes through uh, declassification, even by a president. A president can call something declassified, but he can't just do it with a wave of his hand. Put aside the issue of the declassification or classification of the documents, because what we know from the warrant is that the crimes that Donald Trump is potentially charged with don't rely on only classified information. Let me say it again. The potential crimes listed in the warrant don't necessarily require that the documents that Trump took to Mar-a-Lago be classified. He's being charged with a violation of Section 793 of the Espionage Act, and that refers to transmitting, i.e. moving, defense information that refers to any method of moving the document from a secure location to an unauthorized party or an unsecured location. So Trump possibly moved documents that were sensitive defense documents to an unsecured location. He's not charged at this point, And they didn't allege that he has given documents to Saudi Arabia or Russia or China. He's alleged he's alleged to have moved these documents to Mar-a-Lago. Let me ask you a quick question about that, because you've you've explained
0: to our listeners on this show before what it's like to view classified documents. And, And let's just be clear, we won't get into all the weeds of this, but there are documents that are that exist in the U.S. government that are a level of secrecy even beyond classified that that are only supposed to be viewed in very special conditions by very special personnel um, that relate to nuclear secrets and and so forth. But you, as a member of Congress, had access to regular classified information that you could only view under certain circumstances. Just very quickly, could you just give a sketch of what's that like? To to view that kind of information, because there's a lot of protections that go into viewing that kind of information.
2: Yeah. So uh, the context for me was it was um, uh, it it was in and around votes uh, around the Iraq War, and intelligence about what was going on in the operating theater uh, during the Iraq conflict, and I wanted to see for myself and read the intelligence reports about what was going on uh, in Iraq and what our agencies knew. And it was classified information. As a member of Congress, in order to get to see that classified information, I had to go to a very secure location uh, where where I had to uh, first surrender my cell phone, um, go through a magnometer to make sure I wasn't uh, carrying anything, anything uh, dangerous. Um, The door would lock behind me with a a clunk that uh, sounded like the clunk of a safe because it was a big secure door. Uh, I was met then by um, uh, a a minder. Um, The minder and I went into a closed uh, windowless uh, room, a very small room. The only thing in it were there were two chairs. There was a desk Uh, and there were the documents I had requested. The minder sat with me while I read the documents to make sure that I wasn't photocopying them or taking a picture of them or removing them or harming them or doing anything with them. Um, And when I read those classified documents, they were redacted even for me a member of Congress, even the classified documents that I saw had significant redactions. So this was a an entirely secure process. When I was done, I left with the minder without documents and went back through the security, retrieved my cell phone and left. I wasn't allowed to take any notes.
0: Right. Let me ask you. Can I ask go ahead? Go ahead. And go ahead.
1: Because this concerns me, as you know, we process all of this. That being the case, Paul, why would the president have these in his possession to begin with? I mean, they're talking some of the top secretest alphabet soup, top secret stuff that there is out there. I imagine they're not sitting in a file cabinet in the White House. And I ask this from a process standpoint: like, would someone have had to help him get a hold of them?
0: One thing I can just point out is that there's actually been some reporting about this, that some documents are so sensitive that they're only viewed in secure locations like Paul was just describing. It's called a SCIF. It's a special SCIF. It's an acronym. Anyway, and they actually built one of these at Mar-a-Lago so that they could show the president confidential documents. Now, there could be legitimate reasons for him to need to see highly classified information while at mar-a-lago if something that's time sensitive comes up while he's there i could see it's like okay let's let's get into the secure facility and have you look at the document but paul i don't have the answer to alicia's question why would he like hold on to these things and like i mean there's actually there's been further reporting from for example national security staff working for mike pence olivia troy when public by saying it always freaked us out at the staff level when the president would take documents with him to the residence because we had no idea what would happen to them is there a legitimate reason for him to retain highly sensitive documents that he's been shown
2: uh it's a very challenging question because the, the the plain answer seems to be no. Um, if you're um, if you're the president, you need to look at highly sensitive classified documents. Um, I suppose that you could make an argument, which, by the way, he hasn't made. Well, I needed them to be seen by me at Mar-a-Lago because that's where I was playing golf that day. And um, I wanted to make sure that I could see the intelligence and do my job by by in between holes nine and 10, instead of going to lunch, I went to the skiff at Mar-a-Lago and they brought me the documents, which I reviewed. Um, And then um, uh, he would say, I suppose, if he was making up a good lie. And then I ordered them to take the documents immediately back to the secure location in Washington, D.C., from which they had come. We haven't heard that from the president or anybody else, from the former president. We haven't heard that from anybody else. Why would he then put the documents into some other room, lock them up? And why would his lawyers lie? Why would he refuse to give them back over years and months? Why would his lawyers lie saying they hadn't, they'd returned all the documents? None of it, none of it adds up, okay? So the reason for his to retain them, nada, de nada, Forget about
1: it. What I still don't understand, though, is so let's say all that's real. Let's say he was at Mar-a-Lago. I'm sure, you know, presidents get classified classified stuff when they're out of the White House at times. So let's say he's at Mar-a-Lago. Someone brings him classified super secret documents to review for whatever reason. That could be 100% legitimate. You just told us about a process where there's a minder, where, you know, someone is maintaining the top secretness of said documents. Why, if that's what happened, would some minder just leave it behind? I presume these are people who are part of the intelligence community. And that's why I just don't understand how they got into his
0: home possession. Well, and that's the thing is that it's not like, lest lest people be confused about this, it's not like what happened here was while he was president, he was given documents and he said, I'm going to hold on to this here at Mar-a-Lago. And then they just stayed at Mar-a-Lago. Even that would make a little bit more sense. This is a case of, These were documents that he had for no reason at the White House and took with him, that he removed from the White House and brought to Mar-a-Lago. If you're in the White House, you're in a highly secure location by definition. Once you leave the White House, you are not in a highly secure location. And so there there really isn't a justification from that standpoint.
2: And by by the way, let's assume that Trump removed those documents at um, 1159 before the 11.59 11:59 uh, a.m. before the 12 a.m. inauguration of Joe Biden. That those were the last things put on the Mayflower moving truck that was going to leave the White House with his personal stuff. He had the 22 boxes of classified documents put on the truck to take down to Mar-a-Lago at 11:59. So he was still president and he was there waving waving his hand as they went out the door for 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 the moving people. What does that say about his state of mind about whether or not he was still president or not. Well,
0: remember, remember that one of the very first things that Joe Biden did to that very point is he removed the traditional function of allowing former U.S. presidents to re- receive intelligence briefings because he could not countenance the idea. He he said publicly, President Biden said, former President Trump is not trustworthy, to retain this kind of information in a confidential way. And I think all of this has has really validated that exact point. And I, you know, I just I want to close out this discussion with just, just a, a few very quick items. One is that a story that emerged in the last few days is that the judge who, who signed off on the warrant here happens to be Jewish. And lo and behold, among the other slime and vitriol that's come out online since then has been a wave of anti-Semitic attacks against him. And I tweeted, and you can find me at Matt L. Robeson on Twitter, I tweeted that this is the least surprising aspect of this because just about everything that has to do with Donald Trump and defending Donald Trump turns to a wave of anti-Semitism eventually. It is as sure as the sunrise follows the, the rooster crowing. It, it just happens and it, it's unsurprising and it's it's just a factor of Trump that we need to bear in mind. A second point is I've seen a wave of Trump apologists trying to make the case that, well, all of this may be true, but under no circumstances can you investigate or search the, the home of a former president, let alone eventually prosecute him for crimes, because that's what banana republics do. That's what third world countries do. And I just want to say right here, and I'm, I'm gonna do some more on this on Twitter and on video, if I can get myself together to do it, that that's just totally factually wrong. If I gave you the following list, France, Germany, Italy, Australia, Taiwan, Israel, Japan, South Korea, Czechoslovakia, and Slovenia, and asked you, what do they have in common? You could say, well, they're all democracies. They all have functioning judicial branches. They're some of our strongest allies in the world. In many cases, they're our NATO allies. The other thing you could say is that in recent years, They have all prosecuted former leaders for committing crimes. And in many cases have sent those leaders to prison because that's what happens when you're a robust democracy that has respect for the rule of law. You actually send your former leaders to prison. You don't give them a forever get out of jail free card just because they happen to lead the country. When you are elected to lead a country, it doesn't mean you get to crime, No, right? No, no criming. Just because you were elected. Okay. Okay. And finally, finally. And, you know, Alicia, I I think you probably want to come in on this one. I just want to say something to fellow Democrats for a moment. Back to where we started the show. I know there's been a lot of wish casting about, oh, this is it. This is the time that we're finally going to eventually see Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit. And perhaps politically, this is the time where the fever is going to break. And it will break through to Trump supporters that maybe this is a guy who is not worthy of your adulation and support. I just want to remind you that a foundational case in psychology, there was a book written about it called When Prophecies Fail, Leon Festinger. It's it's one of the foundational texts in psychology. And it profiles a doomsday cult in the 1950s that these psychologists attended their meetings and they profiled them. They believed that the world was going to end. A UFO was going to come and remove them. There was going to be a flood and everyone was going to be wiped out. And of course it didn't happen because we're all still here. And after the date of doom came and went, the psychologist went back and asked all these people, how do you feel about your doomsday prophecy? Had they given it up? No, not at all. They doubled down because that's the nature of this kind of cultish following is that it becomes so important to you to have this as part of your being, as part of your, to justify after the fact that you've given so much of yourself to this crazy idea that you have to double down on it. So I would not predict fellow Democrats that we're going to see any turn away from Donald Trump here, maybe from rational people, maybe Ari Fleischer's of the world are going to say, eh, no. No, no, this is a bridge too far. But by and large, do not expect the base of Republican support to abandon Donald Trump over this. That's just not how human brains work. It's sad to say, but it's true. Alicia, did you wanna get in on this before we move on?
1: Uh, Well, let me just say, you're right. I mean, uh, Donald Trump in a recent poll had a 10% bump in the Republican Party since the um, search warrant. So, I mean, people who are staunchly in it now that could change now that we know what's kind of in it or as we learn information. But I think people who are staunchly in the pro-Trump place are going to stay there and people who are staunchly in the anti-Trump place are going to stay there. I still think middle America is all somewhere in between. But the one thing I want to add before we close out this conversation is um, I am a strong supporter of our first responders, in particular our members of law enforcement, the FBI who are being attacked, who are being violently uh, spoken about online. Uh, they are members of law enforcement. They are police officers. They executed a search warrant. They didn't, you know, draft it themselves. One um, news agency I'm not going to name actually listed the names of every single individual FBI agent that went to Mar-a-Lago that day that was an attempt to threaten them. I think it's disgusting. We are the party that has always supported our law enforcement. I will continue to do so in any, any or violent vitriol against members of our law enforcement community in support of a politician, whether that's right, wrong or otherwise with that raid, is unacceptable and disgusting. And believe it or not, it's going to hurt Republicans more in November than the raid itself.
2: You know, let me just weigh in and say that I I, I agree wholeheartedly with Alicia that in the past, the Republicans have have uh, have uh, you know taken pride in supporting law enforcement. Um, And unfortunately, what this has done is set off a spate of threats against law enforcement, which is really a continuation, I'm sorry to say, of what we saw on January 6th um, with the assault on law enforcement officers by um, Trump supporters. Uh, This, the the cult, uh, basically, the brainwashing and the cult have have seemed to have stripped rational thought from uh, too many people, and um, the the reaction to the search, um, you, I guess you could say, is predictable on, along political lines. But unfortunately, what we are now seeing in terms of the threats of violence is a new is a new and enhanced threat in this country um, that's coming from the far right. And um, it's it's both sad, sorry, but it's really dangerous. And Donald Trump continues to present um, a a a, as somebody on the January sixth committee testified uh, a clear and present danger to the United States.
0: Well, the line in the movie The Usual Suspects is that the greatest trick the devil ever ever pulled was to make the world believe he didn't exist. And in this case, if you cast Donald Trump as the devil which isn't a stretch, the greatest trick Donald Trump ever pulled was to lead Republicans down the road to where they're now full-throated attacking law enforcement. Both, you're right, Paul, around the events of January 6th, where 150 police officers were injured, many of them died in the aftermath of that attack, and now focused on the FBI. And it's not going too far to say that this is This is the way many abusive relationships go, right? Donald Trump, he hates his base. Make no mistake. He hates- Sorry guys, that's right. Who support him. He disdains them. He looks down on them. He doesn't care about them. And if he did, he would not lead them down this trail. And so the ultimate effect here is like, like all abusers, he starts by kind of grooming them, kind of moving them along the pathway to this abuse is okay this abuse is okay. You can go farther and look at where you end up. Look at where you end up. It's, it's really sad, but I, you know, look, Alicia, I'm with you. And Paul, I'm with you that all we can do is kind of continue to speak the truth and point out what's real and what's not real and hope that remember these people are our fellow Americans. Ultimately, hopefully they will come back. Hopefully they will come back. Let's, talk about perhaps a more upbeat story, at least for me and Paul, which is that political prognosticators are saying, look, we, we, we've we been talking for a couple of weeks now about maybe the tide is turning for Democrats. Maybe things really are brightening. Now we're beginning to see it in the polling numbers. Now we're beginning to see it in the forecast numbers. Nate Silver on 538, wrote an article over the weekend called Will This Be An Asterisk Election, pointing to the fact that midterm elections for at least the last two decades have favored Republicans for the most part. And also that first midterm election after you have a new president in power tends to turn against the party of that president. So you have all these historical trends the question has always been Will this cycle be an outlier? And almost uniformly, the answer is no, this cycle is not going to be an outlier. In 2018, we saw the result of this for the Republican Party with Donald Trump's first midterm election. And now all of the prediction has been that 2022 would be an absolute stone cold disaster for Democrats. But the tide is shifting. The generic ballot, which measures whether people would prefer in general without naming names to vote for a Republican or a Democrat for Congress has turned and is now in favor of Democrats. It was about a two point margin in favor of Republicans for much of the year. It's begun to trend in Democrats direction. That trend started at the point of the Dobbs decision. And we're seeing the forecast model on 538 turning from about a 90% chance of the Republicans taking over the house down to a 79% chance. So look, 79% chance, that's uh, you know, Alicia smiling here. I mean, that's that's not too shabby for Republicans, but the worm does seem to be turning a little bit. Paul, what have you been sort of seeing here? We we interviewed Naveen Nayak last week, the head of the Center for American Progress Action Fund. He thought that he saw a change in the environment. He thought that the Inflation Reduction Act was going to be sort of the centerpiece of that change. What are you perceiving?
2: I I think that there's just been a cavalcade of hits um, that uh, both positive and negative that have moved the needle somewhat. As you and I have said and talked about and agreed, we're moving the needle as Democrats somewhat, whether or not we actually can climb the very steep mountain that's presented by precedent uh, experience and years and years of midterms going against the party in power, we shall see. But there has rarely been such a confluence of both positive and negative news. On the positive side, you know, we have the IRA, or the Inflation Reduction Act, we have gas prices coming down, Nationally, to under $4 a gallon. Um, uh, we uh, can discuss if we want whether uh, we're having a general easing of inflation. It seems to be happening. Uh, and we're still a couple of months away from the election, which is an eternity in political terms. Um, we're in August, things are quiet. Um, Things will rev up in September. Most voters don't pay real attention till much closer to the election. So all the polling that's been done could shift very rapidly, uh, even though it goes against precedent. So that's some of the positive side. On the negative side, we've had the January 6th committee. We now have the search um, against uh, Mar-a-Lago. We've had the Dobbs decision uh, taking away women's reproductive rights, um, which uh, has fired up the Democratic base. Um, Traditionally, the real challenge, and I faced it um, uh, during midterm election, was was getting Democrats out to vote uh, because they're just not really frightened enough or angry enough and they don't really have something to vote against. Um, In this election, uh, there's a lot at stake, including the foundation of our democracy, and that may fire up Democratic voters.
0: So, Alicia, the case that I've heard, and I think that's a fair case from Republicans is, yeah, 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 lovely. First of all, people don't care about legislation. So you can let go of that one, Democrats. Second of all, there hasn't been an election yet where abortion has really turned things. Don't overtilt on the Kansas referendum results because that was a very, very special case. And third of all, inflation, inflation, inflation. We get, well, in many cases, Republicans don't get it. They don't get the the 0% inflation rate month over month. They've been arguing, well, that's not it. It's, it's really 8.5%. That is true. Both things are true. Prices are 8.5% higher than they were a year ago. But it's also true that inflation has stopped growing. It was 0% growth between June and July. Economists care about that 0% growth because they want to know, are the measures that, that we're undertaking as a government to fight inflation working? Are we, are we on the right track? But politically- the argument is, yeah, that doesn't matter because what people are still going to focus on is prices for key items are higher. They're going to feel unhappy about the economy. That's still major advantage Republicans. Alicia, what do you make of that? Do you, do you is that how you still see it, or are you beginning to see a little bit of a blue breeze here?
1: Democrats who are running for office, I would like you to do as Matt just did, and spend the next two and a half months telling us about 0% inflation and the economics behind it. Um, I think that's a great argument for you all to have so that my side can win in November. Because I went grocery shopping today. And that's what matters to me. (laughs) Not what some economist tells me. The difference between the 0% inflation and the 8.5% inflation is because of this. No one cares. They care about What I care about. I went grocery shopping today. It's crazy out there. But no, I think you guys should keep talking about that. I think that's a brilliant idea. Look, is there a turn? You know, I tend not to live in a political bubble of my own party. Um, It's just not how I live my life. And I, you know, have Democrat friends, Republican friends, independent friends, uh, and I do things other than politics. But in the last week, I have absolutely been in a bubble of Republicanism. And I would tell you that things are bleak in that bubble right now. And what I mean by that is, you know, this Donald Trump stuff is a big deal. You know, even those who support him, they feel it's a big deal in a different direction than I may end up at the end of the day, but they know it's a big deal. There's a negative vibe within our party. And the problem with a negative vibe in the party is you don't go to the polls. You tend to stay home. Unless you're a diehard in the wool, and that could be dangerous for Republicans, you know, 79% chance of flipping the house. That's pretty good numbers, Matt. I'm pretty excited about that. But um, at the end of the day, I I think if the tides emotionally don't turn, if this case keeps going on and we keep being divided and we keep fighting amongst ourselves, um, it may not go as well as it should in November. But Two months is a long time.
0: I think I that think the, the key word there is the tide, right? Because this is, what, this is where I think there's a little bit of a disconnect. It's absolutely 100% true that prices are higher than they were a year ago and people care about bills. They don't care about rates. Let me say it again. People care about bills, not rates. So you're right. If Democrats get all caught up in talking about legislation and committees and rates, no one will care. They care about their bills. The reason that the month over month inflation rate actually kind of matters as a story is that it is ultimately about bills because prices for many core items are actually going down. Now, if you're still paying close to $4 a gallon for gas, you're still going to feel like prices are too high. You're still going to feel bad. But if the trend line is in the right direction, and if it starts getting into a zone where it's in the lower half of the threes, you might seriously start to feel better. And so I think it's relevant, I think it matters and the trend line mm. is important here. So look, at the end of the day, yes, you're right. I mean, if if I were if we're playing a game of poker here, I'd rather hold Republicans hand when it comes to the US House of Representatives than mm. Democrats hand. That's that's better. My argument has been, I made this argument in newsweek, I've made it online and of course I'm making it on the radio and pod here that Democrats have given themselves some very important cards to play by passing this legislation that they've passed over the last few months some really critical things bipartisan things on veterans on guns and now the inflation reduction act no people don't care about the name of the bill or the you know the the particulars of legislation but the effects matter the fact that things are getting done matters the democrats have given themselves more cards to play and the trend line is heading in democrats direction so I, I, both things are true at the same time i go please
1: the, well there's another factor and this is when we can't analyze every single congressional district in the country but they are individual races and in elections you know i live in a district with a democratic congressman in in a normal climate, it should flip red. It's, you know, equal right. parts Republican and Democrats, but the biggest chunk is independents. We should be flipping to a Republican congressman this fall. However, the leading primary Republican candidate is running on auditing the 2020 election. That candidate will not win a general election if that person wins the primary. And you can take a snapshot of that in every single district in the country. So there's so many factors um, that are coming into play that it, it is hard. You would have to analyze every single district out there to see, are they a flippable district or not? And like I said, in the case of the district I live in, you know, there are candidates that can win the general, but the one that looks like may, you know may win the primary is not going to win a general. So there's just so right. many factors.
0: Right. Both things are true. Red sky, blue breeze. And on that note, we're going to have to wrap it up. For Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. We'll see you next time.